to me. He opened the armoire and threw shirts into a duffel bag. He was serious. You'd flunk out of the Navy, she said, blocking his path. He stared at her. What? You jump ship at the first sign of rough water. We've had this argument before. He shook his head, looking down. I wanted us to work. But it's not just me she interrupted. You're always on call. You go away for three weeks at a time to medical conferences. She left out the holidays and Saint-Sylvestre, New Year's Eve. I know. He looked away. Stupid. Why had she said it? Never rely on a man or let them know that you do. Guy, I'll tattoo your schedule on my brain. She reached out and pulled him to her, enveloping herself in his arms. Nothing ever felt like this before. He traced his warm finger along her cheekbone. She closed her eyes, inhaling his lime vetiver scent. She felt something land in her pocket with a metallic sound. Here are your keys, Guy said. Let's work this out, she said, fighting her fear. Why had she ignored the warning signs? It's better this way, Emmy, for you and for me. I'm sorry. He grabbed the duffel bag, strode through the hall. But Guy! He was out the door before she could stop him. Crushed, she ran to the window and pressed her nose against the cold glass as she watched him get into a taxi on the quay below. She heard the door slam and the taxi's tires churn away over the slush, her eyes welled with tears. Two months of living together, trying to. He was the man who'd saved her eyesight, who'd written poetry about her. Now he was gone, just like that. Relationships. She didn't get them. Shouldn't people take each other as they found them? She'd blown it. Again. She sank onto the duvet, stunned, and grabbed the pillow, she found herself clutching one of his socks. She remembered lying in bed at sunrise as the blood-orange sun peeked above their toes outside the window. How his long fingers brushed her thigh. The bowl of steaming café au lait he'd prepared, resting next to the thick Le Monde Diplomatique on the balcony, awaiting Sunday morning reading. She remembered how his nose wrinkled when he laughed. She buried her face in the pillow, punched it, trying to shut out the hollow ache inside her. A small wet tongue licked her ear. Miles Davis, her bichon frisé, panted eagerly, carrying his leash. She heard his low whine. Just you and me now, Miles, she said. A jade bangle, green and luminous, hung by the beveled mirror on the birch branch where she kept her jewelry. It caught the gleam from the barge lights. It had been given to her by an old Vietnamese woman for good luck. She felt its cold smoothness as she slipped it onto her wrist, then pulled on a black down jacket, looped two wool scarves around her neck, and descended the drafty stairs, her heart leaden, to walk her dog. A January night, and she felt as if she and Miles Davis were the only ones in Paris— except for the ghosts. She'd lost her man. A barge floated by with red Christmas lights still strung along the sides, framing the flat deck.
A scratchy strain of a song accompanied by an accordion reached her, and she heard the lapping of wavelets. Miles Davis wandered along, sniffing around the metal grill that surrounded the base of a leafless tree. She rubbed the jade, but no reassuring warmth answered. Her cell phone vibrated in her coat pocket. Guy? Allô? she said, hope in her voice. Bibiche! She recognized Laure Rousseau's voice. Laure was the daughter of her father's first partner, and the endearment was the one she'd used since they were eight years old. Come celebrate! Ouvrier is retiring! Remember him? Ouvrier was a horse-faced fleek from her father's old commissariat. She heard conversation and the pinging of a pinball machine in the background. A bar? Not her scene.